Welcome to allthingsnew.tech, where we are exploring the intersection of theology and technology. Technology is changing our jobs, relationships, and even our identities. It's easy to get excited about all the new things. But as Christians, we also believe that God is redeeming this world through His effort, making all things new. This podcast features conversations with entrepreneurs, technologists, and innovators, examining how technology transforms our understanding of God, His creation, and what it means to be human. Today, Paul Taylor from All Things New is talking with Cheryl Chen, a software engineer for Stadia Research. Stadia is a new game streaming product from Google. Cheryl has a PhD in computer science from UCSC and focuses her work on using artificial intelligence for storytelling in game design. Paul and Cheryl will be talking about how games use artificial intelligence and how that taps into the creative potential of people who are created in the image of God. They'll talk about gaming in general and how Christians can navigate the tension of products built to entertain and products built to addict. The theme of story will show up a lot in their conversation. Our own stories, the story of God in the world, and the power to create stories within games. We'll explore how stories have a way of unlocking meaning and look at the universal longing we all have to make a difference in the world. We hope you enjoy their conversation. This is Paul Taylor with allthingsnew.tech, and I'm sitting here with Cheryl Chen, who's a software engineer at Google for Stadia Research. Cheryl has a PhD in computer science from UC Santa Cruz. She's got a long history in game designing and particularly involving artificial intelligence in storytelling with games. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Welcome, Cheryl. Thanks for talking with me. Maybe you can just start telling us your story. I saw a little bit online about some torrid love affair with Mario or something that began your your intro into gaming. So maybe you can tell us your story, how you got into gaming. Yeah. um, So I would say that, you know, people talk about how their parents had computers growing up and they like had some old, you know, one of the early machines, personal computing machines. Um, For me, it was a Nintendo like gaming system. And I would just spend a lot of my youth, I guess, uh, in these virtual worlds. And uh, the Mario story is really funny. I was uh, so I would get so like captivated by the hero's journey in these worlds that like I would start to write letters. I would like write letters to the characters. So I invited like Super Mario to my birthday party wow. uh, when I was a little kid. And That's I didn't awesome. even know I just wrote like a letter, Dear Mario, like <laughs> And, like, these are the kind of presents I would want, like, he's Santa Claus or something. And right. I put it in the mailbox, and I, uh, you know, obviously didn't – I don't think he got it ever. <laughs> he may have. Uh, he didn't come to the birthday party, but, um, but you know, he sent – I'm sure he sent his wishes uh, wherever he was. Um, yeah, so that was that was kind of, like – like how deeply connected I felt it was actually. You know, funny story about Mario. Yeah. I was actually with a friend of mine who was a huge Super Mario geek. Yeah. We were going through the airport. Yeah. And he recognized the guy who played Mario's voice. Oh. In the wow. airport, he wow. knew him wow. by face, and he said, "That's the guy that plays Mario." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which you know, who would pick him out of a crowd? Yeah. Right? No, I. 
I've like met the guy who translates for Shigeru Miyamoto at mm. events. Like when Shigeru Miyamoto is like talking, and then he has like a like a like a Japanese to American translator. Right. I met the guy, and he's like, I'm the American voice of Shigeru Miyamoto. <laughs> so I, I was like, Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah, I was I was I was very much like captivated by these worlds, and I would say that that's probably like bef- I was I was not I you know I had video games before I knew who Jesus was, yeah. and I would f- I felt like that is like God's like first like 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 the most Im- imprinted it attempts of really reaching me was like through video games, hmm. so like I was you know when life. Uh, presented like uncertainty or challenges I saw the lessons that was being these I feel like you know whether people are building games uh, like alongside Jesus or they're just kind of building games I feel like the desire to see heaven on earth is like a part of the creation process of what they're doing so I really like saw it as like here's what hope looks like and you've like walked through it you know wow. here's what it looks like you know failure is not the end of it yeah. failure is just the beginning you just keep going um there's always a way like there's this design and it is so beautiful hmm. to me um so i would say that you know i tell i when when i do get the chance to you know talk to churches i do say like you know how many parents are worried their kids play too many video games yeah and i'll say you know well God re- met me through video games, so you never know, right? So how did that eventually wind its way to God, to Jesus, to something explicit um, for you? Where was the connection? You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I would say that, like, so when I was about 10 years old, I had this incredible spiritual experience, uh, yeah. I would say. I, that's what I tell my coworkers, right? Like, I had this profound spiritual, like, enlightening moment uh, as a young child. And up until then, I had been, like, Eastern religion had been kind of what my parents' background was, yeah. and uh, and I was in the they immigrated to the United States, and I would uh, learn here and there about Jesus in schools, but it wasn't until like um, the Chinese local Chinese church like had us go there, and I joined the choir because I loved music as well, and I uh, started learning about uh, this kingdom of heaven. I started learning about Jesus as a person, and. Um, and I would say that uh, eventually it came to a point where I was, like, really, like, seeing people around me struggle, like, uh, the adults around me trying to figure out how to make sense of life, um, that I was like, okay, you know, God, what what is really the purpose of all this? Um, are you real or not? Like, is it is it your – is it this philosophy or is it that philosophy? Yeah. Like, which one's the true one? And, um, and God was like, 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 clearly just, like – like the clearest, most vivid thoughts that I have ever had, I think, happened at that moment where I saw like, you know, people are thinking about it the wrong way. It's about it's a it's about this. There's a greater calling. There's a greater meaning to it all, which, again, is a long, much longer story. But uh, it ca- it came down to like, you know, there's a there's going to be new platforms of expression and there's going to be a new canvas to to uh, to explain and understand the world and mm. that. I was supposed to like I like that's a part of what I was supposed to be doing right. as I grew up and even at, to the point of detail where it's like don't even try to understand it now huh. you're not going to until you're ready wow. and so like I just was like oh well of course like if you're going to recreate experiences in meaningful ways you're going to use technology so right. then I always just I learned how to code and then I like applied to the you know 
computer science and computer engineering majors. And I was just always like curious and determined to find out what's the most we could do with what we currently have. And for you, it sounds like that was always deeply connected to your faith. Yes. I mean, it was like a calling. It was like, it was just like, it's like, you know, Romans 8 says, you know, all creation is waiting to be liberated. Uh And, and um, there's just this sense of like everything, everything uh, has a purpose. All creation is me. All creation is you. All creation is this microphone that I'm talking into right now. This is all creation. And that, that the inventions that we come up with, we didn't just like, we're like, you know, we're writing these you know, academic research papers going to these top conferences, and we're the first author, but we didn't, we're not the first to think yeah, of this. Right. It didn't come from us, right? Um, it's all discovery then. Yeah. Right? And, You're and, discovering something else. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like the curiosity, the beauty of it is you discover this, this, this approach or this tool or this yeah. machinery, and you're like, well, what was the original purpose of this? Right. You ask that question, like, what does it mean to be stewards of the earth and yeah. stewards of creation? Yeah, that's one of the things uh, when I first started exploring these intersections of theology and technology, I looked through Genesis, and that formed really the heart of a lot of like the early allthingsnew.tech blog posts. And I just kept getting the sense all through the creation story that God had built his creation with, um, you know, I want to use the analogy of like God put his creation in a, you know, in a playroom of Legos. But but not even that, because it was almost like he put them in a place where he could build the Legos and then build something with it. Cause it's like he was, he was giving us this world, hoping that we would learn to create in it. And that's what I think we've been talking a lot about with, with technology is how, how, how do we create? And yet with the awareness that some of what we create is, is not helpful. Yeah. And so how do we figure out totally how to balance all that? Yeah. So tell me more about gaming then, because that's not like, you know, the like you said, you go to churches, you, parents are worried about their kids gaming. And gaming yeah. isn't kind of like the first thing people think about when they're like, I'm going to make the better world a better place. I'm going to yeah. make more video games. So, yeah. But it clearly has that sense for you. So yeah. Can you I, unpack I, that a bit? I mean, I, I think it's like it's like uh, like like when you think about um, what it means to be made in the image of the father. And here is somebody who, uh, who is like you know you're just like you're just this human being and you're like what does it mean right like like God created the world the universe God designed the way things work and function God put together a story for each of the people like a calling and a destiny like a hero everyone has their hero's journey yeah and I think that uh, that really comes out in. Video games. I mean, it comes out in plays and movies and novels and fiction, um, but it for sure, like in some of the most literal ways, comes out in video games. So I, I find it like I find it deeply intimate when you think about the design and how how you're kind of taking on your father's work by being a designer. Yeah, um, I know you're you've like spent a lot of your career in design as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, but so so for me, it's it was always like here's a way to understand people. Like the word is living, right? The yeah. word is like this. Is, there's a reason why the gospels were from various perspectives. Right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yep. right? Different perspectives. Each person had their different way of experiencing it and telling it. They told it in a different order. That is, in essence, how like technology has a way of controlling that. The printing press enabled, or the scribes were able to, you know, write down these accounts. 
um, onto like you know paper. Like video games as a way of also presenting and projecting information. You know, like like if you think about it, magazines and books haven't haven't veered too far from the days yeah. the Gutenberg printing press was created. Right. Now that we have the internet and technology, um, there's an incredible a designer, Brett Victor, um, who talks about how sometimes we view the machine like it's just another print media. Like like we use a computer like it's a magazine. Right. So how do we dig deeper? How do we get into that complexity of how how um, how, how the tech, what the potential of the technology can be. So I've always, I've always, so I have also taught. So I was teaching um, uh-huh. children as young as I think eleven. And I think once you get younger than eleven, it's a little harder to like uh, uh, have their minds kind of wrap around how to build with technology. Sure. But I always, I always ask them, you know, you know, when you're playing games, don't just, don't just let them take you for a ride. That like you should be critically, like, critically. Um, Thinking and processing what's going on around you. How did this work? How did you build it? Like think about it. Like like when you read a book, you write a book report later. Like if you had to write a book report for every game you played, how would you analyze it? How would yeah. you think about it? How would you take it apart and put it back together? How would you make it better? And so that's what I tell parents. I'm like, I like like I think we were having so. Funny enough, we're in a room called Kakariko Village right yeah, now. We were just right. talking about we were just earlier talking about Zelda. Yep. Um, and you were I don't know. You should share that story about what it was like, like how you were able to kind of build rapport through. Yeah, that. I was telling Cheryl that we used to um, talking about how when the Nintendo Wii came out, my wife got me one for Christmas, and uh, I was always been actually the the two video games I like really are Zelda and Mario. And so I would play Zelda. I guess that was something about a princess then. What was that? Um, I mean, there are so many They're all games. about princesses, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, about, yeah. Twilight Princess, maybe. Maybe that's what that one was called. But my kids were little, and they would watch me play. And so yeah. I, I would get points for, for watching the kids and get to play video game <laughs> yeah. at the same time, which everybody won. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I had a similar conversation with um, Oliver Meow, who who – uh, founded Pixelberry Studios, oh, a, a yeah. gaming studio, yeah. and they they focus on explicitly story based games. Yeah. So we talked a lot about gaming and story, and I'll ask you that one of the similar questions I asked him is that I can I'm I'm compelled by this idea that like in gaming you're you're unlocking this thing within us. I love your phrase. Everyone has their hero's journey, and yeah. so you're connecting to that deeply. And I think ideally the game can kind of connect and maybe even awaken something within us that then gets transferred to the real world, right? Yeah, it kind yeah. of gets, gets, totally. gets, we, we become more alive for the real world, but, but we also know that it's possible for games to become kind of a pit where, where you don't, you don't blossom in the real world. You kind yeah. of only live in this virtual yeah. world. And so, and certainly if you're trying to make money with a game and you're trying to draw people's attention, kind of, I think that's one of the big things I like to explore. What, where is the line between like building a game to draw people in and, and draw them away from the real world versus yeah. awakening something that actually is valuable to them yeah. in the real world? I, I think it's I think it's media literacy. To be honest, like we see this with social media, we see this with fake news. I think if people just knew what they were what they were ingesting, what mm. they were, well, what are they, what is it that they're processing? You know, when you're taking it captive, you're taking every thought captive, like right. how are you, how do you have the mind of Christ and all of that? Like I remember I was having a conversation with a, with an entrepreneur and she was like, you know, I, I, the church sometimes doesn't teach about the brilliance of Jesus, like the inventiveness and the innovation yeah. of Jesus. And that when we are trying something, we're not just, we're not, 
just like a, a spectator or a bystander. We're not like taken for a ride. It's more that we are the acting agent. We can put things down when we need to. We can be analytical and critical yeah. and discern. We have the, you know, discernment is something that, that, you know, God gives us to be able to understand, like, how much, how far is this serving? Is this valuable? And and I do think that, like, because technology has caught on so quickly, like, we hear about things in social media all the time that people aren't, the education isn't able to bring everybody else up to speed. And, right. and actually, I see this more, like, so my other area of focus was, like, games and then artificial intelligence. Yeah. Same idea. Technology has kind of taken off really quickly, really showing a lot of impact. But then the people around around it, the people, maybe the people working on it understand what they're doing, but maybe the people that are, like, just on the, on the, on the, on the user end or right. on the on the people there are people who are impacted who may not have developed a literacy to understand yeah. what's going on so I, I yeah i think that the, yeah. that there's a wisdom that comes with all of this so that's one side the media literacy of the user but then is there is that something you consider in design like is it are there ethical choices when you're designing that that bend people towards compulsive addictive behavior versus yeah uh more healthy patterns of interacting. I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I find I would, I would like it. So this is a, so I would liken it to, you know, when you, if you're writing, uh, if you're writing a movie, right, you're, you could use like different ways of engaging with people. You can use violence. You can use, um, you can, it's, it's like, what kind of story do you want to tell? What do you want to glorify? Mm. What are you glorifying yeah. in the story that you're telling? Like, do you want, is the moral of the story, like, like you know, be selfish and, sure. you know, that's going to give you happiness. You know, things right. like, I think that, that, that in the, so, yes, the, there's the audience side of being thoughtful and then there's the creator side of what it is you're creating. And actually brings me back to, like, a philosophy of mind experiment. People talk about, you know, in a, like in the study of AI and cognitive science, we they they ask, you know, can do animals have thoughts? Do animals yeah. have feelings? And the, you know, on the on the on the doer side, uh, the person who's connecting with animals, right? Or you're you're treating animals poorly, they would say that like it's actually it, it, like whether animals have feelings or they can feel what you're doing with them, uh, they have thoughts and they feel pain and happiness and joy. Like whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter uh, how it's received. The person as a person the motivation behind what you're creating if you if you are hurting animals right. it's actually going to come back it's like actually you're you're um you're you're feeding something inside yourself, yourself. that isn't going to yeah. be good yeah it's like so, you can yell at your amazon alexa yeah it doesn't care but it's not good for you yeah or it's not google yeah. home i guess would yeah. be the better yeah, or something. The, the better analogy and, and i think it's the same thing on the creator side like if you're creating something mm. that is going to highlight and exalt uh like a false sense of contentment, right. then that's not – it's not going to be good for the people, but it's also not going to be good for the developer and creator themselves. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. interesting to kind of reflect back the creative choices and how they affect the creator. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the kind of frames we use at allthingsnew.tech is this idea that God, God created his creation and then he installed us as his image bearers to rule over his creation. Yeah. Yeah. But then and sometimes we recreate that pattern by we create our own creation. Yeah. And then we create our own image bearers that yeah. kind of bear our image. And yeah. so the kind of virtual world and gaming is very much in some ways a, a, a pattern of us acting in God's 
place, creating kind of a virtual creation. And and again, it's there's some ambiguity about whether that can be healthy or unhealthy, because in some sense, God asks us to steward his creation, and his creation is um, stubborn and <laughs> difficult to steward. Yeah. And so we'd rather we'd rather a creation that's easier to manage. So we create yeah. our own creations yeah, that, yeah. you know, I can jump a lot higher as Mario than I can as Paul kind of yeah. thing. But but so there there's a sense of like escaping our yeah. responsibility in these virtual worlds. But then what you and others have brought up is there's a sense of awakening something. Yeah. Um so figuring out how that kind of plays in our souls and yeah. and, and and how we keep to those things. Yeah. I think is tricky. Talk about the bridge between AI and gaming. That's not, yeah. I think, immediately obvious to me and probably others. You know, you think of AI, self-driving cars, but you yeah. don't think so much of AI in the gaming industry. Can you? How, yeah. How does that work? Yeah, I think that's a that's that's a really great question. I mean, I, I think that I think that people fundamental. So again, having taught kids, having talk, taught them, you know, art about artificial intelligence, it's like we always start with like, what do you what do you think of? What are examples? If I said tell me about AI, like, like you know, wherever you are right now listening to this, you just start writing a list of things that you right. consider to be AI. And that's like a really, that's a really clear um, way to define things is actually to come up with a bunch of examples, right? I mean, right. but you can also break it down. So artificial intelligence, it's like there's the word artificial, which means like man-made or not naturally occurring. And then there's intelligence, which you can go, there could be a whole series of <laughs> right, like, yeah. what is intelligence. Sure. Um, we can base it off of, you know, you know, animal intelligence or human intelligence is typically kind of a way we think about it. I mean, there's there's multiple ways of defining it, but often AI is the act of creating in our own image because uh, in some ways we regard ourselves as having the some of the highest forms of intelligence in many aspects. Yeah. I, I would say that there are probably things, many things that animals have figured out how to do better than we can. Right. But, um, <laughs> but that's not to say that humans have the monopoly on intelligence, but right. that we are a common like model or like uh, um, archetype for sure. <laughs> this concept. And yep. so when we talk about AI, I would say that it's most occurring in movies. So if you're like people are like, you know, for, for maybe like before before self-driving cars was like a truly like like on the road, like these cars are driving themselves. I would say you heard most about AI in movies. Um uh, I, in the 1950s is when uh, I think Alan Turing, um, his 1950 paper, yeah. uh, Can Machines Think? It actually talks in, in great deal about what is intelligence and can machines actually learn on their own. Um, and that would be a bit of an advent for um, for this way of understanding computers and machines like as like they, they are kind of extending intelligent capabilities, mm-hmm. um, being able to do them at scale, for example. Um, in games, I would say, like, would be, like, next to fiction, like, science fiction and movies, I think games was, like, the next place where you would see it. You would see it not just in the story, like, if it was a science fiction or fantasy game, you would see it, like, as, like, an aspect of the story, right? People can name, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm thinking of, like, fictional characters, like Rosie the Robot or something from the Jetsons, right? Right. These are, robots are uh, uh, commonly identified, uh, uh, AI entity. Yeah. Um, in games, though, you would have like the ghosts in Pac-Man, right? And so that would be like a very early, that's like like a, the, one of the you know earliest games, right? Interesting. Or the or when you would play Pong, and there would be like another AI 
uh, agent, or, or honestly, um, even more famously, like chess and checkers. Sure. So the, deep blue. The computer right? playing. The computer. the computer playing. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so, um, you know, we've gone from checkers to chess to um, to go right, and now right. they're doing StarCraft. It's like yeah. we're progressing in that in that area. So I think I would say that games is probably one of the most. Um, Mo- where AI was like most commonly used, it's one of the most commonly used domains for AI, and right. you would find it in like in the in the behavioral agents. Like you don't want to play, you know, tennis by yourself. So so someone's like, oh, but walls can be bouncy, so you can like you know maybe like bounce it against some wall somewhere. Right. You want to create that re- reactive, responsive nature um, somehow using the world around you, using technology. Yeah. So that's where you would see AI at first, but then of course like like the AI or the technology that you're building upon also can use AI to or machine learning or whichever tool you're choosing to improve the overall experience in the technology itself as well. So those those ver- those those very primitive examples like the ghosts in Pac-Man didn't use machine learning. No. They followed some rules, yeah. Rules, you know, yeah. turn left every third turn or yeah, you know something yeah. Something arbitrary. Yeah, like they, that. They, you should look it up. Like, if you right. have not read up about the personalities of the ghosts in Pac-Man, it's really interesting. Like, apparently, like one of them has a crush on Pac-Man, so it's like, <laughs> like they'll get close to you, but if you try to get close to them, they run away. I think it's the pink one. Wow. It's like they all have little personalities, and so uh-huh. like. They have names and identities, and you just wouldn't know. That's why I say, like, be critical. You discover such amazing things. The other thing, like, just to throw, since we're on that, uh, is to look up the history and who made it and Uh who thought of it and what was their inspiration. I think that's also really beautiful. And I I always encourage students and young, you know, young kids to, like, hey, like, you love this game. You should find out, like, who came up with the idea, you know? We have uh, in our church is the, uh, the author of Burger Time. Oh my goodness! No way! Yeah, so. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no way! Can I, I like? I have a researcher. Oh my gosh! I like one of my colleagues in grad school um, was like wrote like papers about Burger Time. Really? There's I've, apparently like new Burger Time conventions where people come and dress up as the oh my yes the totally the lettuce. Oh my goodness! I I'll introduce you. Yeah, if you're oh interested. my gosh! Yeah. I'm that that was like sincere. Like yeah. sincerely, I'm like they apparently wrote really it in excited. like. Two months, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, it's no academic. I'm telling you, like research conference papers are being written about Burger King. That time. is like, hilarious. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's interesting. So all of these little characters that are in the background of a lot of these games, they have personalities and they have creators. Yeah. So somebody thought of them. Thought of them and designed them. Somebody yeah. gave them life. Yeah. Created them in some image. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Those ghosts in Pac-Man didn't use machine learning. They just had these little algorithms. But presumably yeah. now characters in games are using machine learning. Is, it, is that right? And are mm-hmm. they yeah. – or is it still very rudimentary algorithms or what's going on? It's So I would say that um, it's so interesting because – so th- we're talking like like right now. It's We're in 2020. Perfect vision. 2020. And yeah. um, and. Let's say the the boom, the the deep learning machine learning boom happened in like 2016, 2017. 
So it's relatively new. Up until that point, I think there was a lot of different approaches to like quote unquote AI. And again, this term is very loaded and very much like you have to really understand the community that's using the term to understand what is meant by it. The term AI. Yeah, the term AI. So like so up until then, it's been like there's been a lot of like formal representations, like uh, very rules based. Okay. and very much more controlled to keep the decisions that are made by AIs. Uh, you want to be able to make them keep them on the rails. Like you don't want them. There's like right. there's like a, an aspect element of randomness that you don't want. Right? Mm. Machine learning would work uh, in, for some applications, but honestly, I think the compute power wasn't at the point where it could process large amounts of data like sure. it can in the last decade. So I think that's really when we saw machine learning t- t- take off. Like at Google. There's a common graphic that goes around that shows that, like, between, like, you know, something like 2012 to, like, 2018 is exponential. Like, it was, like, barely any machine learning being used in, like, 2013 to, like, you know, exponentially increasing to, like, thousands of products having machine learning as a part of it. Um, That is because – that is because as the machine is trying to discern and, and try to understand the essence of what the decision is that's happening, um, it can make a – it can be inaccurate. But, I mean, that's not to say – that's not necessarily bad either. Humans make decisions and sure. we're often like – often it's not black and white. There's not a right or wrong answer, right? right? And machines typically do better when we can show it. Here's a lot of right answers. Here's a lot of wrong answers. Like do this, don't do this. Yeah. Um, in games, the ability to kind of break the immersion – the, the break the story, it's kind of really easy to do. Mm. And so in games, typically, we'd use, like, behavior trees or we'd use these decision trees so that, you know, if, like, choose your own adventure, right? right? Like, if this, then this. If you do this, then this other thing happens. And you want to be able to control that. And a big issue with that, and this goes into kind of my, my storytelling work, is that you end up with this, like, exponentially growing tree sure. of possibilities of what can happen in a world. Right. And so, like... Getting a, a writer like like you know if you were to sit down and write a story, you can like kind of put together these associations. The machine can do that too, but to the machine, there's like infinite possibilities, and how does it choose the right one? So my favorite quote, and I don't know if I'll even remember it, but is uh, Robert McKee is like this playwright teacher huh. uh, in L.A. and he says like you know the the um, like the 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 world offers like encyc- there's an encyclopedic amount of possibilities and you're supposed to capture uh in a in in just a capture just a little bit in just a like the in the in the course of a story you need to capture a lifetime in just a moment basically right. wow. and so we have the ability to do that machines haven't been so great at it because it doesn't know what's the most relevant thing i mean just watch i don't know if you watched uh star wars did you watch episode nine yeah yeah yeah. i mean no spoilers i I don't know if you've like watched it but like there's this sense of like it's trying to it's like it's it's trying to be brilliant in its own sense but it's also trying to connect back but there's also a sense of like there are kind of spontaneous things that weren't necessarily thought of back two movies ago trying to connect and and so that process, like, like shouldn't be taken for granted. And, and this is why um, you won't necessarily see machine learning in your characters uh, because, because there's, like, that, that decision process is so intricate. And so, yeah. so people who generally make games want to have a little bit more control. more control. That was a really long explanation for that. So but yeah. am I right in thinking right now, like, you know, if you have a game, basically it's, like, in philosophical terms, it's fatalistic, right? I mean – all the, I mean, obviously there's infinite possibilities, but kind of all the p- 
paths are explored. Yeah, right? yeah. But is there going to come, I mean, I guess what you're saying is not the case yet, is that kind of the game could create itself yeah. as it's being played. Yeah. But that's not happening yeah. so much yet. But is that where things are I going? Mean, I mean, like there's a, there's a give and take. There's like a cost-benefit thing going on Sure. Here. Now we're talking about like Zelda, and then like I think like beyond Zelda would be a game like Final Fantasy, right? right. And then in Final Fantasy, you're kind of you kind of get locked into the rails, and you're on the roller coaster. That's you're right. just kind of like going. Yeah. Then you can get get even further in the other direction from Zelda, where you have like Zelda's pretty open world, right? Yeah. But like, but you go even further back. At least the most recent Zelda. Yeah. Um, the you have like uh, Sims. Mm-hmm. Where it is like you know Anything it is kind of happen. you know you kind of invent the story right. like this these characters they fall in love sometimes they can have kids they die you know but it's a little bit there's not a great deal of emotional connection yeah and then even before that you have like Minecraft right then you right. You're, then you're just like you know the world's your oyster like right. you know what are you gonna do um, but like if so 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 it's like on the Final Fantasy side I've been playing Final Fantasy fifteen. And, like, I'm just, like, in tears. Like, I'm, like, I, these mm. relationships are so deep. Um, when the characters get hurt, like, I, my heart hurts for these characters. Like, right. I feel it in a very um, meaningful way. Like, in Sims, when a character dies, nah, not I don't, I don't think I've ever shed a tear over the Sims. Sure. Yeah. So, like, so like I think that there's it's, – it's, it's hard to get to that level of depth when you're right. trying to create like all these possibilities and I think that really the approach and I've been you know even recently in my meetings I'm like can we just have incremental change mm. can we just get a little bit closer to like you know get a little bit away from like having to put everything on rails or get a little bit uh, more meaningful with this open world simulation you right. know how do we like slowly move towards the center yeah that's beautiful it's really interesting to think about the different capacities games have to evoke emotion and you must think about a lot designing games and how do you create stories that are compelling because some stories just aren't interesting yeah and so as you think about storytelling in games what makes a story believable or what like what are the aspects that draw people in you talked about being a hero Uh, yeah are there other things oh man i mean i think the hero things like definitely the hero thing is something that people in games think a lot about of course because when you're playing the game like there's like this hero there's always these hero we call them hero moments right yeah um yeah i i would say that uh that um that being um yeah what was the, ask the question again? It's kind of like what makes a story. I mean, I'll I'll I'll, I'll seed an idea that yeah. you need to react to. Is that yeah. I, you know sometimes I wonder if you know God is a storyteller yeah. and God is telling His story. And if you look at the scriptures, there's this massive epic story over millennia of yeah. you know pretty pretty stand you know what what seem like standard themes to us: good versus evil, yeah. heroes, yeah. salvation, yeah. helplessness, yeah. Um, all these things. And I and I wonder if all the stories we write are kind of little adaptations yeah. of the biblical story. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, is, is there basically one story, capital S, and yeah. then we're writing these little stories, and maybe you know, as they approximate the biblical story, they. They yeah. resonate with us more deeply. I don't know. No, it's true. Yeah. So, so, so I, I would say like story in general. Um, a very famous narratologist, or at least a narratologist with a very popular book, uh, said that um, 
that we cannot everything that happens to us we have to we have to put into a story huh. uh like the, nothing happens in isolation like right. like you uh you like see um a key on the floor like that you write a story in your head like that key didn't just always wasn't sure. always there that somebody key, dropped it somebody dropped a key right, right? Yeah. like we have to fit if something doesn't make sense and huh. we see it in like law lawyer stories right like like one side is saying one thing the other side is saying another thing right. and we're trying to reconcile it like that dissonance we're always trying to rectify i mean um like one one of the early ai um papers I, I I reference a lot. It just talks about how, like, belief system is actually... Like, we're really solving for our belief system. And if something... Yeah. Like, the last thing we're going to do is change our belief system, right? So so I think storytelling in and of itself is just, a, a like, a, an automatic, innate quality of being human. Right. And so when we watch movies, like, I'm also a huge Avengers fan, so yeah. I just, I'm just so, like, into it. I'm rooting for these characters. I right. want the good guys to win. Um, when you're when we're just really pulled into that, I think it's the same thing with games, right? And so in games, uh, you can you can like start like at the movie level, and you're trying. I think Final Fantasy is a good example right. where it's like you know they're really trying to pull together a, a like interesting character arcs and transformations yeah. in the story, and you're being led through. I mean, not even just Final Fantasy, like Halo, like the Halo series. Yeah. You're like learning about like these like ancient religions and like these different races or Star Starcraft. Like you're learning about how these different you know planetary beings have existed throughout time yeah. um you're connecting with all of these things and and it just gives you yet another dimension like another another point of engagement where you get to you get to rotate you know the object around or like if you're bilingual like would you rather watch a movie in japanese or would you rather watch a movie in english like right. maybe you speak both and you prefer one over the other you understand one better or maybe one was written in japanese and you'd rather see it in japanese you have these choices to explore the experience the way you want to explore it or or like i didn't watch star wars until very late uh in the in the in the the progression of the sure. stories. Yeah. And so one thing I would ask my students all the time is, hey, I've never, like at some point I'd never seen a single Star Wars movie. I'm like, and they all had, right? Their parents were really excited to show them the series. And right. I'd said, which one should I watch first? Should I go yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six? That makes sense to me. And all the kids are like, no. no you have to start with episode four. Yeah, you have to start. With the, yeah, and so I'm like, right. but what, what do, like those choices don't change the story. Yeah, right. But like we have the ability to choose how we plug into it. So I think that's, that's where the meaningfulness comes from. That's where it draws us in. And to kind of tie it back to what you're saying, like, like I, like you see again and again this idea of like reclaiming what is lost or that we were yep. meant for more. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but like that's why I like superhero movies a lot, yeah. and I like you know X Men and things like that, is because there is this sense of like there's more to it than just like you know that than this the same thing every day of just like you know you wake up and there's no meaning to anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been really interesting, and I you're clearly somebody who you know you're. Your faith, your relationship with God is so connected to your technical work. And, there, you know, it's just you're very in- integrated in that sense. And that's part of what our hope for all things new.tech is, is to just cultivate that, to cultivate people. Because I think a lot of people work in tech and they, they don't think about how they're faced. So do you have any – I know you've been involved with various Christian groups at Google. And there's lots more we could talk about with Passion yeah. Talks and other stuff. But do yeah. you have kind of what – do you have any advice or recommendations for people on how to kind of make that journey of integrating their faith deeper into what their work is? 
Yeah. So I would say that you got to like, you know, put on your wizard robe. No, you got to like, you got to like, it's in the same way. Like when, when you, my favorite thing about playing Zelda is like you go into a new village and you're like, I just want to find every corner of this village. Right. I want to know like who is going to ask me to do something. I want to know who the friends are. Like I just want to go and explore. And so, you know, when I came to Google, I was it was just like that. It was like entering. Right. Google except, was your village. Yeah, it was like my village. It's more like Rome. It's like being a citizen. <laughs> right. of, I've I've made jokes like it's like being a citizen of Rome. Yeah. People would like appeal to Rome or something. Uh, it's this, not this a bad huge, analogy. Yeah, it's yeah. this huge entity, and I was just like, I just thought, you know, what is God already doing here? I just mm. have that. It's, I think I think it's honestly having a curiosity for it yeah, of like thinking, question. God, what are you doing here? What do you what do you want to do here? Connecting with people who are already doing things um, to kind of be be together uh so that you're in community um like-minded in a like-minded way but yeah honestly you don't you just you know the same holy spirit that that the apostles had with them uh they were sent out and they weren't always in community either they just kind of went and followed and um and you'd be surprised at, at like at how much like you know your your work needs uh and can use a bit of like that that com- communion with the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. It's like, God, you need to. Sh- I don't know how this problem is going to get solved. I don't know how to resolve this conflict. Right. I don't know how to overcome uh, some of these asks. Like, if you don't show up, I'm not gonna. I don't know how this is going to happen. And I, I, I often think about like you know, like we, we should be in that position all the time of like I, yeah. I just want this to be like heaven on earth, yeah. as great as you intended it to be, but I'm not going to do it if you don't show up. And I know you're already here, so I just need to be made aware of what you're already doing. So, so I think I think that that, that, um, that thing is, uh, that is really the, the heart and the mindset I try to have. And then the other thing is just, I started, uh, pra- more practically, I just started, you know, I have a little worksheet that I made up, and I pray for my meetings every day. I pray for my projects. I pray for my to-do list. I pray for my coworkers. That's great. Yeah. So, like, I think that, you know, incremental, I guess, is kind of the theme. Yeah, that's really practical, though. I mean, it's really simple and practical, but not something a lot of people would think about. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, I always like to end my conversations asking the same two questions. Um, So the first is, what are you most excited about? As you think towards the future with technology, what— what is one thing you're really excited about kind of developing in our world through technology? Yeah. yeah. Um, I am right now most excited about technology helping people understand each other better. Mm. So you look at like, you know, just even in the United States, I mean, we're divided in yep. very many ideological places. And, and I think technology can really facilitate understanding yeah. and, I think it also drive division as well. Right. But again, it's like if the light isn't shining, if you're not, if the people aren't live, walking in their identities as stewards, then it's not going to, it's going to, yeah, yeah, there's, it's going to have it, it's going to go in a direction that is less, less, less than optimal. So we can like, I think that we have definitely a calling to be, you know, here for such a time as this mm-hmm. in, in what we're doing. So I'm really excited to see that. I think that like, um, we can we can really i i'm excited to see like this idea of like like liberty and justice and and seeing people of different nations being able to to kind of connect in and building infrastructure in a way so that so that it's not like some people are like left behind or some people are not able to have the same connectedness to you know the body of christ or sure. to the church or to 
just the world. Like people, uh, there's like a, there's an international program that I work with um, at Stanford and they talk about like, what does it mean to be a citizen of, of, the, of the world? Yeah. And so I, I'm excited about that, those aspects of technology. And for me particularly, I'm interested, I do feel called to stay, you know, close to artificial intelligence, to kind of pray into it, to see uh-huh. where it's going, to understand it, to explain it to people like yeah. like in this podcast and right. to uh, to use it as like a way to extend what it means to be human. Like who are we made to be? How can technology be this expressive tool that helps us better at expressing that calling that is on our lives, that uniqueness that we have as stewards, yeah. you know? So, yeah. That's a great answer. You actually used a phrase we – I use a lot that I say um, people get excited about technology because it offers to extend our humanity. Yeah. But then that leads into my final question, oh, which yeah. people are scared of technology because yeah. they think it threatens our humanity or yeah. they, they think it has the potential to. So the final question I always ask is, what are you most afraid of? What's oh. what's the worst case scenario? What, you know, what, what do we need to be worried about or protect against or take I caution think, in? I think the worst case is that we – are so afraid that we keep the we kind of keep the gospel in a bubble and we mm. I think in some way I, I don't know like like the word says you know the rocks will cry out right if like nobody's gonna do or say anything like I, I feel like in some ways it's like it's like sad for the people who have the calling on their hearts and aren't living and walking in their full identities because of fear I just think love perfect love casts out fear yeah. right I feel like <laughs> love Love. One thing I wrote, I remember I was writing Christmas cards. I was writing like a kind of a message and I, I put it in a card for all my coworkers, like, uh-huh. like, you know, 20, 30 people. And I just wrote like, you know, to me, like the season means that, you know, the season I like to reflect upon how, you know, love has already won and we just need to believe it. Uh-huh. And that's kind of how I put That's like how I'm packaging the gospel, right? Yeah. Love has already won and we just need to believe it. And and um, and I think that when when we when we shy, when we when we don't when we have that. That that oh well, what if this ends up hurting us? Mentality of you know, what if we lose? Kind of a feeling, right? right? Like what if what if what if that's not true? What if like all this stuff that's happening like like um, ends up causing harm and we end up uh, hurting people, right? In the process, I I like to say like I just I just believe so strongly that that like that the victory has already been won. Yeah. It's already yeah. been made, and we just need to go and 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 see it to the end because like. The Romans 8 says all creation. Yeah. It doesn't say like just parts of it that we're comfortable with, right? right? It doesn't say that the parts of it that we understand. And I would say that the church is missing out on things that it doesn't understand very well and yeah. that it takes uh, another level of just humbling ourselves as a church and I, including myself as well, like like humbling ourselves as a church to reach that level of understanding that, that complexity is something beautiful uh-huh. and that that oftentimes we're like, oh, it's complicated. That's not a good thing. Yeah. But I think that if the church were to embrace, like, complexity, like, you can worship in complexity. You can worship through complexity and understanding of complexity, um, that there would be, like, such a revival, a spiritual awakening in these areas, like Silicon Valley. Like, a lot of the people that you and I interact with yep. on a day-to-day basis, like, they thrive. They were made to be complicated and to uh, – and to uh, really, they see God and innovation through that lens, and that like the church just needs to come alongside some of that. So, That's great. so yeah. So I would say perfect love drives out fear. Love has already won, and that all creation is just waiting to be liberated. It's a great perspective. It's very different. M- m- most people's answers tend more towards the apocalyptic kind of technology destroying the world. Your 
fear is that we won't take advantage yeah. of it and that we'll be too too cautious and yeah. too scared. So yeah. that's a great that's a great thing to think about. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for the conversation. There's a lot more we could talk about maybe at a later time. Oh but, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Just just get just like you start when the moment you said apocalyptic, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there are many ways things can go wrong. <laughs> right, there are. Yeah. Like but that's like do we have another hour? Right, exactly. Like, yeah. A whole another thing. Yeah. Well, thanks, Cheryl. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I know. God bless. All right, you yeah. too. Thank you for listening to allthingsnew.tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.